Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? If you listen to the Healthy Gifts for the Holiday podcast, you know that I was hoping to get the author of The Bordeaux Kitchen on here. And guess what? She is. Let me tell you how I even came across this book. So last summer, I was scrolling through my NTP group, my The Group Feed, which is this just great treasure trove of information. And one of the NTPs had posted a photo of the Bordeaux Kitchen, and she said this, I want to share this remarkable book with you, recommended by Nina Teicholtz. Now, y'all, Nina Teicholtz is the author of The Big Fat Surprise, and it's one of the books I talked about in the PUFA podcast. Remember, PUFAs will make you poofy. Anyway, Andrea went on to say this about the book, The Bordeaux Kitchen. She said, it's over 600 pages, so many great traditional French dishes from an ancestral perspective, no grains, no crappy seed oils. It also has a nice section of French wine and wine pairing for every dish. What a wonderful resource for traditional eating. So I saw that. And if you know me, and if you've been hanging around here a while, and maybe you did my feel French in five challenge a few years ago, you know, I have this kind of bit of an obsession with the French approach to eating and lifestyle. You've probably heard of the French paradox, which is this idea that the French have a relatively low rate of heart disease and they stay slim and healthy, despite the fact that they're eating butter and cheese and cream and meat and some bread and wine. And girl, I'm done with that because that's how I like to eat. (laughs) But, you know, back when I was trying to cut through like all the dietary noise in the world and figure out how to eat, and this was even before I went to nutrition school, um, kind of on the eve of that when I was just passionately reading, you know, everything about nutrition, this French paradox was one of the things that really formed my common sense about eating. Remember, I told you about another aha moment was with the avocados, Um, which back then were still kind of being warned against because of their high fat content. And my thought at that time was, hmm, avocados grow on trees. God made trees. How can avocados be bad for you? So it was in that kind of same way that my common sense was like, okay, the French have been eating this way for forever. Also, um, they ate this, these kind of foods in the Bible, you know, so why is butter and meat now a problem? Why is this considered bad? Well, if you listen to the PUFA podcast, you know there was an agenda behind demonizing these, um, what our guest today calls farm fats, um, in favor of industrially processed seed oils. Um, But I would have to say that that cognitive dissonance and, you know, letting my common sense and my godly compass guide me, that this French paradox is one of the original bricks in the foundation of forming my approach to food. And I also think it's one of the major reasons I'm just really relaxed about food. You know, like, let's eat the cheese and the butter and the wine. It's all good. So when I saw this book, The Bordeaux Kitchen, 
um, I just knew it was right up my alley. And it is. It is not only a cookbook, but an educational experience that covers topics like family food organization and meal planning, meal timing, circadian rhythm, the importance of soil inside and outside our bodies. And the recipes are just fantastic. And the book is beautiful. And so I'm just so thrilled to have the author, Tanya Teshke, with us today, because we're going to have a great discussion about eating like the French. Welcome, Tanya, to the Christian Health Club podcast. Thanks, Chelsea, so much. It's an honor to be with you today. Well, let's start by having you just kind of tell us your background. I mean, this book is so... incredible. It is a masterpiece is what um, Andrea said. And I I can, I just know just from the little writing I do, I can't imagine all the work that went into this, but I'd love to hear just more about your background and what led you to cooking and your family and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, Well, you know, I I grew up in the U S but with strong ties to Europe. Uh, My family is German. Um, And so I grew up with my mother and grandmothers and aunts um, cooking, you know, delicious family meals um, as I grew up. And um, so I, I, I always loved food. Uh, but when I got to college and was kind of separated from, you know, the, the home cooked meals, I, I lost my way a little bit. Um, and I kind of became vegetarian for just a few years. And after college, um, my first job was in um, in Central Asia, in Kazakhstan, and I, because I had studied Russian and and French, and um, I um, became very malnourished there. Uh, there wasn't a lot of sun either, <laughs> um, but I I sort of. Um, uh, you know, I, I didn't know how to cook meat. I actually grew up not really being interested in cooking, uh, oddly enough. Um, so I didn't really know how to how to cook meat and protein. And while I was vegetarian, my mom was always saying, you need to eat protein. And I never understood why or really did anything about it. But I became very malnourished um, over there. And even though they do eat meat in, the, um, you know, sort of uh, Kazakh, culture. Um, But, you know, going to the markets there was, you know, you'd see kind of the heads of pork, uh, pigs, or, you know, just the meat kind of hanging there, um, sometimes with flies. (laughs) And it's, it was a big turnoff. So, um, but I I became so malnourished that I I had um, my appendix ruptured. and I was medevaced to Germany to, um, you know, to, to sort of figure out what was going on. I actually didn't know that's what was happening. And, um, you know, after a couple of surgeries and three blood transfusions and um, just weeks, six weeks in the hospital, um, as I was turning 25, um, it was only really by the the grace of God that I <laughs> that I got through that, and we'll, we could talk about that later. Um, but I realized I needed to eat um, properly again. I needed to eat meat again. Um, and, but it wasn't until you know after having children that I realized I needed to really focus on um, you know feeding my family and my you know 
improving my own health. And it, it was when we got to Bordeaux in 2013, and my girls were, um, I don't know, they were maybe four and, and six or something like that. Um, I, I was curious uh, to, well, I wanted to up my culinary game, you know, from boneless, skinless chicken breast and salmon, you know, to something more uh, interesting. And um, I began to take classes, cooking classes in France. And of course, in Bordeaux, almost everyone works in wine. So you couldn't have a conversation with anyone there without wine coming up. So I decided I need to learn about wine. And I, I'm a photographer, so I was also very interested in the visual uh, you know, terrain of, of Bordeaux, the vineyards. They were gorgeous. And we arrived in the fall just around harvest time. So I um, was following um, the, the vintners or the, the winemakers in the fields, asking them questions and taking lots of photographs. And, and uh, as I was learning all of these things, I was also uh, trying to figure out uh, my, my own health, uh, you know, lacking energy and uh, just not feeling healthy. Uh, there was a lot of depression, despite the fact that I was in the, the, the only place in the world that I wanted to be at that moment. Uh, so it's been kind of this um, journey uh, since then. And, and, and it was about 2000, end of 2013 when I realized I wanted to collect all of these pieces and I'm I'm a book person. I love I love books, though I don't really get around to reading them. <laughs> I love them, and I wanted to make a book, but I never thought I would make a cookbook. But what happened was I I just collected the photographs, the recipes, and I realized I wanted to uh, preserve these, you know, for my own, um, you know, knowledge, but also for my daughters, and to eventually potentially, if it did become a book, to help others, you know, to, to not let this knowledge uh, sort of uh, fade, fade away. Um, so, and something that I learned while I was there um, through the ancestral health movement and also just through the French diet was this concept of nutrient density, which I'm sure you've talked about. Um, and the fact that the French eat organ meats um, and those are the most nutrient dense foods that we can possibly eat, you know, with all the minerals and vitamins and fats in them, like liver or sweetbreads or kidney, heart. Um, so I'm very happy to have a um, a whole chapter, you know, in my in my book on organ meats. I'm, you know, very happy about that. It was sort of a, a discovery that that I made of all of these things you know, going from having been vegetarian and not, you know, feeling squeamish about things to now I'll, you know, I'm, I like to eat um, raw, you know, steak tartare and oysters and, um, and organ meats, um, not necessarily raw, but um, anyway, so that's, that's been kind of the, the journey. And it took me about five years to put the book together. Wow. <laughs> Labor of love. Mm -hmm. I think that's so cool. You didn't, you didn't 
go into it really thinking that's what you were going to, you were going to do. So you, you moved to France in 2013. What was that like for your, for your family? I mean, coming from the U S I just, you know, I've read some of the books like that, you know, fridge, French kids eat anything. And, um, you know, some of those kind of lifestyle books, which are so fascinating to me and kind of a little wake up call. And I've shared those with my listeners, like, you know, whenever you're feeling not strong about <laughs> putting your foot down with how your, your kids eat, read one of these books that will give you a little strength because, you know, the French are, um, just have such a, a wonderful appreciation and approach to a respect, you know, really for eating and, yeah. um, and, and passing that on to their family. But was that a hard transition for your family? Well, um, that's a great question. You know, we actually were, my husband works with the state department, so we have moved around. Um, and we, you know, we started in Paris at the beginning of his career, then moved to Moscow, you know, had the first daughter in the U.S., but um, went back to Moscow. Uh, then, you know, we went to Tokyo, had our second daughter, and then moved from there uh, back to Moscow for four years, and then from Moscow to to Bordeaux. So moving was um, par for the course, and... Um, and of course, moving to Bordeaux was uh, special in so many ways because uh, because it's Bordeaux, <laughs> and um, and just um, you know we were there kind of on our own. Uh, he was the the sole U.S. government representative in the in that the Southwest, basically um, of France. So. Um, so, so we were kind of on our own, but we wanted to be because I, I always like to connect with the local, um, people. So I was okay, you know, being on my own and we made friends with people at school. And, um, so the transition, uh, you know, it, it has, it, it always has its bumps, uh, especially with, with children, but it's interesting because in Moscow, when I wasn't really. I wasn't really cooking well. Um, like I said, the boneless, skinless um, chicken breasts and salmon steaks, you know, that was kind of the big, that was, that was it. And then I can't, I can't believe this even today still that I was feeding soy nuggets um, to my daughters. <laughs> it's very embarrassing. Um, Listen, no, because a lot of people do that. And they're like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with that? Yeah. Well, right. And and so you know, moving so so you're right. The French French kids grow up going to the market, smelling uh everything. You know, you pick it, you pick up the peach and you smell it, you touch it that there's a whole sensory thing that you know, your your previous guest, I think episode 92, uh Gisela from from Germany um was uh, talking about how, you know, in Europe in general, you kind of grow up, um, yeah, tasting and smelling food and wine. It's not really, um, there, there's no, uh, what's that word, stigma, um, you know. And anyway, so I was so glad that I, I sort of was starting to learn things like how to make duck breast. Um, and I, I fed it to my children because that's what we were eating and and they you know kind of started adapting and eating all these meats that I was preparing um 
So I, uh, you know, the, 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 the French and, and even at school, they were getting school meals, which, you know, French school meals, while the girls, my girls think that, you know, they'll, they'll sort of, um, say, oh, we didn't like those at all. But there, there was, you know, there was always protein and a dessert and, and, uh, and an appetizer, like a soup or something. Um, so that the, the French tend to eat in a very, they say equilibre. So with, with equilibrium. Um, and, um, we kind of adopted that. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> I have not been to France and I, oh. I, I have to go. I'm going yes. to I didn't go, um, before the pandemic and now it just might take me a little longer to get there with all the crazy in the world, but I will, I will get there and experience it. But I, you know, it just makes so much sense to me. And, you know, I love, um, when I was reading your book, you talked about, you talk about the four fat regions of France. And I think that's so interesting that you can kind of break down the country by um, which fats they are more likely to be using there. Can you kind of break that down for us and just talk about these, you know, the healthy farm fats and, and that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, well, it really is true that, um, that depending on the region, and that this has to do with um, you know, the, the French concept of, of terroir, too, where um, a, an agricultural product uh, is tied to, very much tied to the land um, and, and therefore used and eaten or drunk like a, like a, a wine. Um, but it, it includes sort of the, the use of fats, and it has to do with you know the geographics, the climate, um, the animals that that can thrive in certain areas. So what you'll find is in the northwest of France. Uh, so you have you know Brittany, Normandy, which are very the the recipes there are very butter based. They have a lot of uh, cows and um, sheep, um, and butter is used in the in the cooking uh, dairy products. So in the northeast, where it's sort of close to, I would say, you know, the German border, there's sort of a Germanic side to uh, the cuisine, especially in Alsace, um, where they use a lot of lard. So from the pig, uh, you know, they had they make choucroute, with, which is sauerkraut um, with, you know, ham and sausage, uh, but with a base of lard. And then you have uh, the sort of south, well, the, the southeast of France, um, which, you know, Provence, the, the olive oil. And many of the recipes are based um, using olive oil, and that's what grows there. And if there's a, in Provence, there's a lot of, you know, rocky terrain, so there are a lot of herbs, so the wines tend to be herby the, um, or herbaceous. And that, and there are you know a lot of goat cheeses that come from that area because goats thrive well in that kind of terrain. And then you have the southwest, which is where we were, which is the land of the venerable goose and duck fats. <laughs> and uh, so they, you know, they cook so much with with duck and and goose fat, and um, and then other other fats as well, but 
um, those are kind of the main um, starting points for Southwest cuisine. Um, so those, you know, and, and this wasn't really my idea. It, I was inspired by a travel writer whose book came out in 1958, um, Waverly Root, who, who wrote about the foods of France. And it, it's amazing, but it really still makes sense today. And, it, and like I said, it goes along with this idea of terroir and what grows together goes together. So you'll often find pairings of food and wine within a region that go so well together, like uh, beef burgundy, beef bourguignon, goes very well with the Pinot Noir of the Burgundy region. You know, that's an obvious example. But um, anyway, so that's, that's, those are the, and the reason I call them farm fats, you know, butter um, and, and animal fats and olive oil is because you can render them yourself. You know, if you imagine our great, great grandmothers um, sort of pressing the olives themselves, the olive oil, churning the butter, um, rendering the fat from the animals, uh, you know, that they would uh, raise. Um, you know, these are, that's why I call them the, the, the farm fats. And, um, and despite this uh, rich, long tradition, uh, the, the French um, are still... Now, today, uh, kind of fat phobic, you know, they've allowed, <laughs> they've allowed, I don't know, the, the media, the, the trends, the fads to kind of creep in, not everyone, obviously, but, but you, one does see a lot of, um, one does see a lot of sort of fast food, processed food, people don't have time. Um, but there are, there are still bastions of, you know, home cooking, luckily. And, um, so that's that's what I'm trying to preserve in in this book and and going forward as well. Um, I'm thinking about a next book uh, focusing on organ meats. Um, so we'll see. <laughs> I think that's. I mean, you know, this um, your book kind of reminded me when one thing I thought of it's almost like a modern um, nourishing traditions. If you read that book, yeah, by, like, yes, yes. Um, Thank you. What a compliment, Sally Fallon and the Weston mm -hmm. Price. You know, just um, kind of. Yes, looking back to our ancestors, I mean, I I did a podcast about um, you know, the poofas and just you know yeah. how those don't didn't even enter the um supply of the world until, you know, really the late uh early 1900s, late 1800s, right? Um yeah, and before right. that, I mean, are you know, what what did we use as fats? We used what was, you know, animal fats and exactly rendering tallow and um, you know, but even here in the U.S., you know, I, I pointed out to people, I mean, nobody was using a lot of coconut oil or olive oil. I mean, nobody's, you know, importing and flying in olives and coconuts mm -hmm. in the early 1900s, right? What did they use? They used tallow, they used lard, you know, and that what was, that's what was used every, you know, all of time, all over the world until this, you know, Johnny come lately oils. And it's, it's been very sad that everything took such a turn, but I think it's coming back around. And I think that's why uh, this book like yours is, um, you know, preserving that tradition we have to and preserving health through that and just, yeah. you know, teaching people how to cook with the uh, the traditional fats, how to render their fats, how to, you know, not be scared of organ meats. So I made beef cheeks last night for the first time oh, in my life. Great. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's so funny because, you know, I have all of, you know, since my husband's a um, a cattle rancher, um, grass-fed cattle rancher, I have a lot of interesting cuts available to me. But, wow. you know, for me, it's still an adventure to, um, I'm like, oh, you know, and I'm trying to like liver, but I'm, I'm still struggling with it a little bit. But um, and around here, like the beef cheeks and the um, the tongue is a real delicatessen because we live very close to the Mexican border. And and in the Mexican culture, mm. they make like barbacoa and they make lengua tacos and, you know, all of these things. And um, and so it's just kind of turning off that stigma and that kind of weird, like, oh, that's weird. And, and embracing um, embracing these these old traditions and these nutrient dense foods, you know, that oh, just pack a powerhouse of nutrition. Absolutely. Um, and I love that in your book, you know, speaking of eating locally seasonally, you know, I think we get, I've, you know, talked about here before we get so caught up in, you know, these quote unquote superfoods from across the world. And I, you know, and I try to remind people, you know, God didn't bless one part of the world and not another. Like we all have wonderful foods, herbs, spices, you know, plants, animals in our local areas. And before the globalization of food, that is what people ate. And so, you know, we have a treasure, around us if we can, you know, just embrace it and, and find it and such and really eat seasonally there, you know, it used to be, there was no choice. That's how you had to eat. You had to eat seasonally. And I love that for every recipe you have in the book, you have what season, um, it is, um, it really comes in and, and what's really the appropriate season to, to cook it in. I think that's neat. And one other thing I thought was so cool is I was like, wow, I did not know this cheese has a season. I was like, what? <laughs> I never thought of that. But kind of talk about that. I mean, you kind of alluded to it a little bit with the seasonal, but go a little bit more into that. I think that's fascinating. Yeah, it is. Well, I um, I learned this by studying from a, a, a book um, by a uh, maître fromager, a, a master of cheese. And, um, and so as I, I knew I had to include cheese, even if there are those who might be lactose intolerant or, um, you know, uh, following a, a, a paleo, strictly paleo diet and not wanting to eat cheese, but you can't, you can't sort of look at France and not talk about the cheese. <laughs> and so, and it was difficult for me to narrow it down, you know, that they, they have 45 uh, appellations of a protected origin, basically, is what they're what they are, where you can only name that cheese, that name, if it comes from that region and has sort of the the stamp on it, you know, that certificate. So I chose several of these in the book. Um, but what I learned from, um, you know, from this particular uh, master of cheese was that they do, in fact, I mean, it, it makes sense that cheese would have a season because, you know, they, what, they come from animals, um, cheese, right, comes from animals, the cow, the sheep, um, the, the chevre, the goat, and, and, and they are tied to the land and to, they have cir circadian rhythms just as we do as much as we try to deny it with our modern lifestyles. Um, and so, of course, they're tied, the animals are tied to the seasons. They eat seasonally. They're eating the grasses, which change over the year. So the flavors of the cheese 
or cheeses will change as throughout, you know, throughout the year or may not be available. If, if, if the animal isn't uh, producing any milk, then there will be a pause or, um, you know, it'll, there'll be a cheese that um, it needs to cure for a certain amount of time. And then, and then once it's cured, it, it, it's, you know, only available during a certain um, season. So, but there are, there are quite a, I mean, nowadays you can almost get any cheese at any time of the year, but it really just goes, the, the season of the cheese really is tied to, you know, the season of the grasses or the forage and the, and the feed, um, which just, you know, is a reminder that we are really so, we are much more tied to nature and the land than we, you know, give nature credit for or ourselves credit for and going back to those rhythms i think is is in, integral to our health uh, rather than trying to kind of out out digitize outsmart um out process you know these rhythms and these these process these natural you know um the seasons really <laughs> yeah, I was, you know, I love to talk about, you know, how God made our bodies in relation to creation, you know, and when we just go back to the original, the creation story and, you know, the sun, I always say your prescription for health is in Genesis. It's the sun, it's water, <laughs> it's the land, it's plants, it's animals, it's rest, it's um, community, you know, it, it's those, all of those things. And, um, and yeah, and just being, you know, being married to my husband and, and just watching this pro process of, um, you know, the cattle fattening up from grass, which is just kind of so amazing. And, um, that, you know, cattle can gain so much weight and thrive off these grasses and the different, you know, the different grasses that are growing and how it's interesting that, um, you know, your meat can taste different by region. You know, um, we've had some people that have had a bad experience with grass fed beef before. They're like, oh, I don't want to try that. And, but you have to consider, um, you know, the kind of the breed of the animal, the grass, the area that it grows, not everything's suited to, not every animal is suited to every area, you know, right. um, like you're saying. And so, um, in where we are, there's a lot of, um, sheep and goat and cattle, and it's just a really, uh, you know, we have a really strong grass and, and so it just makes for a great product, you know, but I, I love that. And I love reminding people of that, of our connection to nature. And that's um, how it should be. And I love that. The What is the word? Ter terrier? It's like terror. Oh, terroir. Terroir. Like it's, it's comes from kind of like if you think of territory or something like that. Yeah. And that, and um, you know, the soil, you know, and I love how you talk about that. We talk a little about, about that, how we have to consider, you know, the soil, but also kind of the soil of our bodies, so to speak. Yeah. I think that's, um, yeah, just the, um, how we, you know, our microbiome and how we eat and all that. I, I love how you tied that all together with the, I'm not going to be able to say it right. I don't speak, I don't like, I don't, I can speak some Espanol, but not a lick of French. <laughs> well, I, I think you would, you would be able to see it for yourself by going there. And that's part of the, the, you know, the joy is the discovery of, of all the, the flavors and the sights and then the food and wine that really all goes together. And, and people are very proud of this, 
um, and uh, you know, and and if we if you do wanted to touch on the microbiome, I mean, I you know, while I was trying to figure out my own health, I was learning about the microbiome and um, how important that is. Um, and at the, you know, within ourselves, on our skin, you know, everywhere, on the food that we eat. Um, and it's interesting because it, it you know, it, for the French, for French culture, it reaches into um, domains like, like in winemaking, where they will use the, the naturally occurring yeast uh, that's, you know, on the grapes in the vineyard, as opposed to some industrial, you know, industrially created yeast. Um, but there are more and more uh, people in Fran winemakers in France who are, and I think throughout the world, who are looking more towards organic and biodynamic um, winemaking, where they are really thinking about what's best for the soil, because there is a microbiome in the soil, and that needs to be nurtured, um, you know, just like ours does within us and 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 on us, um, and so it's kind of it's also a, a, a link to nature. Um, I guess it's sort of you know respecting um, what's what's best. You know the biodiversity all the way down to the microbes because they're the ones who are doing all of the the work. <laughs> right. Um, so anyway, that's in the soil, like the the dirt soil, and then the soil of our body. They're the ones doing all the work, processing all the food, and <laughs> that's making, right, making it For happen. Sure. Got to have that good balance. Um, well, I um, speaking of the fats, I mean, you know, I was just thinking of using these farm fats, and you know, when you cook a French fry, you know, you make potatoes and like a tallow. I mean, it is hard to overeat that because it is. <laughs> so satiating. I mean, it's not like going to McDonald's where you can just mow down like two things of fries. It's made with some, you know, poofa, um, cheaply made, just horrible for your cell membranes and everything. But when you use a tallow, it is so nutrient dense and rich and filling that you really, there is like built in portion control because it fills you up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and actually, you know, uh, not to bring up a McDonald's, but um, they, <laughs> up until the 70s, or I, I'm not sure when exactly, they switched apparently from using tallow to using the cheaper refined oils. Um, you know, and, and you're right that there's that whole idea of satiating foods. So in the Southwest, they, they cook their potatoes in duck fat. Um, and you don't really need that much because it fills you up. Um, so people might say, well, you know, grass-fed steak is expensive. Well, you only need a little bit or a little bit of uh, liver to kind of carry you through to give you the nutrients. You don't really need large quantities, uh, you know, overflowing on the plate. You, you can, because of the nutrient density, you really only need, um, you know, a probably a, a small or moderate amount, uh, which, which goes contrary to, to, you know, how our society is all about consuming, overconsumption, um, more, 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 mm -hmm. uh, easy to eat, things that are uh, crunchy and um, designed and engineered to, to please our, our palate. 
Um, but if, if you, you know, like with, with my children, it was, it took a lot, a lot of time and baby steps to transition from, um, transition from, you know, kind of the processed foods and breads to more nutrient dense meals. Um, Tell us a little bit about that, um, about that process. And you, um, because you talk about that in the book, that's why it's, you know, it is a cookbook plus so much more, you know, if there's, you talk about, you know, your family and, and feeding kids and just, you know, all kinds of stuff. I think you, somewhere even there, let's see, I put in there, you were like feeling like the weird, you felt now you feel like the weird mom. Cause you, um, um, or the oh. strange mom because of how boycotting. Yeah, because of things that you don't feed your family. And I'm I'm the same way here in my small I'm the weird mom, you know, um, that makes their kids <laughs> eat, you know, healthy food um and not eat like everybody else. But there you had an interesting story about your daughter's digestive um issue and how you got a little of advice that really helped. But just kind of tell us about that and just this whole process and kind of the intention that you have to take going and changing your family's diet and, and the improvements you've seen. Yeah, well, um, you know, I guess where it first started was even before Bordeaux, when my one of my daughters had some digestion issues. And, you know, we, we went to a pediatrician who actually, she was I don't know. I think she was Russian, but married to a French um, man with, so she had a French last name. Um, but she, you know, the, the European cultures are, you know, the traditional cultures actually around the world are very uh, practical and know, you know, know how to fix things. And she just simply said, you know, what, what are you feeding your child lunch? And I said, well, it's a cold lunch. It's usually, you know, peanut butter and jelly. Um, and then some, you know, cracker, crackery things, bunny crackers or something like that. Um, and she said, why, why don't you try feeding a warm meal at lunchtime? And, you know, we tried that and lo and behold, um, my, you know, the daughter, uh, improved. It, it took a while, but, um, but definitely a warm lunch. And that's what we do today they get thermoses with a warm lunch. And, um, you know, I can, I can tell you that one, you know, one of the meals that's so easy for us and it's, it's a go-to if I, um, you know, I just don't have anything else uh, ready to, to cook is just some grass, grass-fed ground beef with a little garlic, salt, and pepper. And we call it chipped beef. Um, even though it's not chipped beef, it's because it's beef and they get to have some chips with it. <laughs> uh, so tortilla, so tortilla chips, um, that's sort of the, the standby, um, meal and, you know, transitioning from peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch to something like chili or, you know, our chipped beef. Um, it, uh, I, it was a, yeah, a gradual process over, you know, a couple of years. But um, once you sort of lose the taste for processed foods, uh, it it becomes easier. But it's a, uh, believe me, it's a struggle. It's a daily struggle, or was for a while, where you know, first of all, you have to have the energy to make the food, 
for, you know, do breakfast and do lunch before they go to school. And, you know, to, to, to have everything on, on hand and that they would accept it and they get bored, you know, after a while with the same thing over and over. Um, and it's very difficult to switch it up when you think you've found something good. And it's just, it's so it just, for me, it just always took so much energy just to, you know, keep it all together. So, so I understand, you know, that it's a struggle at today, you know, they're, they're bigger now, 13 and 15, and they, they just, you know, pretty much go along with the same things. And we, we make um, date bars together, which is basically ground up dates and nuts and seeds into roll, you know, rolling it with a rolling pin on parchment paper and then cutting it into squares. And that's our granola bar because it's so expensive. There's packaging, you know, and all they need is a little something, yeah, you know, and it, it, and they don't, you know, for Halloween, they don't even really eat the, the candy. They'll eat a little bit and not, you know, feel a little sick and then they're done for the year. <laughs> so anyway, it's just a, just a little baby steps and habits over time, I would say. Right. But you, you said you definitely noticed a difference in behavior and mood, oh. just being more sta- stabilized, correct? For sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I can tell, I can tell in other children when they've had sugar, I can tell in my children if they've had too much sugar um, or just, uh, you know, when I hear kids about kids who will only eat mac and cheese, um, you know, it's, they, they will eat um, nutrient dense foods, uh, but it just takes, takes a long time and it takes so much persistence. Um, but, you know, for me, I, I just, I got to the point in, in Bordeaux where I was, uh, you know, we went on a vacation to one of these club meds and it's a, you know, free for all food. (laughs) And so every meal I would have, you know, either two croissants or two desserts. I mean, it was just insane. And after that, I realized I I have to stop. This is it. You know, I'm, I'm going whatever gluten-free. So I, for the last, I think year and a half, in Bordeaux, I stopped eating bread, despite the fact that there was, you know, bread store on every corner. Um, but my mood improved, depression improved um, for my kids too. Their energy and their mood improved. Um, it, it's it's kind of miraculous in a way. And I, I I will say though that it didn't solve every problem. But to be aware to connect the idea of what you're eating with your health is is just something that um, people, I would say, need to to grasp um, more in our society today. And unfortunately, we don't really grow up that way. But um, the Europeans and other traditional cultures around the world do. Um, they do sort of. They they seem like they're so traditional or you know old fashioned, but these are the things that worked with generations. Um, so just because it's new and processed doesn't mean it's better for sure. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> I know just like, you know, sitting around the table, lingering around the table and, you know, you think of that as a social thing, but my goodness, just sitting down together and 
um, lingering and just that being grateful and appreciating the meal, um, sitting while eating, taking your time. I mean, all of that is, I mean, that's what I tell my clients with digestive issues. Okay. You need to sit down. <laughs> you need to, um, take a few seconds and just, you know, say, give some prayer that give some gratitude for that meal. That's mm-hmm. about to nourish you. Let come into that parasympathetic state so you can digest. Um, and just linger, do not rush, chew your food. You know, the, there, there's, it's almost seems so simple. It's stupid. And people are like, that's not going to really work. And it's, the, <laughs> you know, it's like the foundation and it's just, and you think of like the French who, who do that and they just, they can sit for hours around a table and, and eat. And it's just, um, you know, well, traditionally, I don't know, maybe modern times, you know, we're the, the sad influence of, uh, you know, the U S has <laughs> maybe made them a little bit more fast paced, but, um, I think in all cur- cultures, you know, traditionally they, you know, you just took more time around a meal, mm-hmm. you know, and all this go, go, go is just messing up our digestive systems, it's, which is kind of, you know, the whole gut, which radiates out to your brain, you know, yes. depression, if you, you know, your skin, your, uh, your mood, your, your joints. I mean, it's, it's everything. And so sometimes it really just comes down to sitting down, eating your meal slow, you know, eating nutrient dense food. And it's simple, but um, maybe not simple for everyone to apply um, yeah. in this, you know, society. Um, well, speaking of kids and things that was in and mac and cheese, it was funny because I was making, I was making the more sauce from the book. And my daughter <laughs> came in and she's like, it smells like mac and cheese in here. <laughs> I said, Oh, girlfriend, this is so much better than mac and cheese. Um, And in that one thing I love, um, in that I am taking a greater appreciation for is just how transformative sauces can be, you know, like you can just take a, a, a piece of meat and make one of those sauces, which really don't take very long. You know, I made the, I'm probably going to, you know, kill these names, but the bechamel um, sauce mm-hmm. and the Bernays um, and the Mornay and just, you know, I might put it over a steak or a piece of fish or mix it with, um, you know, or put it over cauliflower or whatever, but it just gives it so much flavor. And again, like you were saying earlier, there's so these, these ingredients, you know, whether it's a full fat dairy or it's, you know, a lovely piece of, of meat that, which might, you know, has some fat content. It's, it's so satiating and filling that you don't, you don't need as much, you know, it's rich yeah. food, but I think people, um, you know, I know when I'm, when I'm eating well, you know, sometimes you go off a little, a little off the rails, especially <laughs> during holiday season, we're trying not to do that. But when you do, you just eat, you eat more, you eat more volume because number one, you're not getting the nutrients you need. So your body kind of drives yeah. you like, yeah, no, keep going till you bring me some vitamin A and D <laughs> you know? um, and you're just, it's just that kind of empty calories, you know, it's just not nutritious. It's not setting, you know, it's not signaling your leptin that, you know, you're put down the fork sister hormone, as I like to call it, like let's, you're full, put down the fork. Um, <laughs> and so there's all of these, you know, these things you just don't need to, you don't want to eat as much. And I find that when I work with clients and they go through my program and such, and we start eating more nutrient dense, they're just, they're like, is it bad? I'm only eating two meals a day. I'm like, no, it's fine. You're full. I mean, don't eat if you're full, you know, you don't eat just because you think you need three meals. If you're satiated at two, then that's what your body is telling you. And so it's just really kind of amazing. Um, 
but so you know i made a lot of the sauces um i made a lot of the meat the the beef because we have so much on hand the roast right. and good the, for you <laughs> yeah the roast and the steaks and i did the beef cheeks and um we made the um is it Mias or Milas, the dessert. Oh, me, yeah, uh, Milas. They they do pronounce the L in this case. Milas. It's, it's kind of like a kind of like an egg custard, kind of. Yeah, yeah. And it's even though it's in the dessert section, we had it for breakfast. <laughs> we did that nice. with a couple of them. We did that with the uh, actually. We did the the Milas and the um, the pear and butters in butter and cinnamon, mm -hmm. and then we did the little coconut crumble almond um, on top. And, um, the, well, we did pecans instead of walnuts, pecans and milk. And, oh, that's um, a great idea. Pecans yeah. are local to me. Um, yeah. well, I have a pecan tree in my yard actually. And so, um, but we, even those are desserts, we had them for breakfast, you know, they're rich <laughs> and, um, but they're filling and they are about a 5 million times better than what the average American is eating with a cereal and Pop-Tart. So I felt fine about it, <laughs> having dessert <laughs> for breakfast because um, they're not overly sweet. You know, they're not overly sweet. Um, and so those were, were really delicious. And my son has been helping me cook. And we looked through all through the cookbook and we made lists and what we wanted to wow. buy and do. And it was really fun. Um, That's wonderful. Yeah. And it's. Um, you know, I have a 13 year old, 12 year old, uh, he's close to 13 and a 15 year old, um, but mine are boys. Um, I have a little girl too. And, but these boys in these teenager years are giving me all kinds of gray hair and they're really rebelling <laughs> about the food situation right now. You know, they, they'll eat what I ask them to at home, but when they're away from home, you know, it's Katie bar the door. They're just, you know, they'll, whatever they can get their hands on because they, <laughs> they, um, they don't understand why they can't eat the same things as their friends, sure, you know, sure. and, yeah. and their thought is, and I've mentioned this to my audience before is, you know, their mom loves them too. Why, if it's so bad, why would she let them eat it? You know? And so it's, this, and I'm right. the only one in, in town making them eat like that. They're like, you're the only mom that doesn't. Obviously all these other moms love their kids too. I'm like, I know, <laughs> I know. Well, I can tell you that they they will they'll go through that. I mean, my girls have as well. There's sort of a phase for a while that they go through um, where they just sort of binge at a friend's house. Um, but but ultimately, they will return to what they you know what makes them feel good. And they you know if you kind of help them notice the the difference that they feel. Uh, you know, oh, uh, you know, you had all those cupcakes at your friend's house. How, you know, how, how's that making you feel? How's that working out for you? <laughs> right. But, um, you know, they, I think it's, I don't know, it, it's hard because I know you've talked about this, um, is, is this the, yeah, the kind of the, the battleground of food. And, um, but I think just, you know, naturally, if we, if we have in our grasp um, nutrient dense, uh, you know, meals uh, kind of with the family around the table, um, you know, where where the the whole atmosphere and feeling and support and love is 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 supported, then I I think you know they'll they'll come back to that, um, especially you know as I think as they grow and they need nutrients because they're, you know, the growing suddenly have a growth spurt and they need more protein and 
Um, but one thing I can su suggest, and you probably do this anyway, but um, an easy thing is with ground beef is just to make hamburgers with some fresh herbs and, and garlic and put enough salt on it. And it's, it's just kids love hamburgers. And I do let my girls have, you know, they like to have it on a bun. Um, to me, that's too much carb and, um, but they'll, they'll often have it on a bun and that's, that's sort of their, their fun part of it, but they really love the, the, uh, you know, the, the, these real meals. And I'm, I'm sure that if, you know, your, your children do and, and will, you know, as you go through this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I keep holding on to that, if you know, that foundation, you know, they have the foundation and I make mm -hmm. the connections all the time. Maybe I haven't, yeah. I haven't made them so nicely lately. I'm like, see your skin. <laughs> <laughs> sugar. I know, I know. Uh, oh, so hard. I know. They know. I am. Um, yeah, I make those connections, and that you know, they cooking and eating is a big, you know, big thing for us. So I, I, I think they'll come back to it, and and they'll make the connections, and they'll know. And I, I think that's what's important. You know, is you just kind of have to let go a little bit of of the control, which is really hard for me because all these years I could control all the things you're eating and now yeah. they're, you know, driving and getting, you know, so, oh my and gosh, you, yeah. you know, you can't. And, but you just have to trust that they'll come back to it. And I and kind of feel the same way about um, just their relationship with God, just laying that foundation. If they don't, if they don't ever see either one, you know, this, um, or talking about food and health and the connections, they did, they don't, they just don't know, you know, they really don't know. And, um, and we can save them just kind of so much, um, maybe health issues <laughs> down the road if they understand. Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember my mom said, I need to sit down when I eat. Maybe that will help me stop having gas every day or whatever, <laughs> you know, maybe they'll want to impress a girl and then they'll actually sit down when they eat. Well, we also say no, no kind of toys or devices at the table. Yes. Um, not even writing pencil and paper. We try, we just try to keep everything off, off the table and the focus around the food um, and the just being together and, um, and some gratitude goes a long way. Yes, it does. A little gratitude goes a long way. And it sure does. Um, oh, this is so good. Is there anything, um, is there anything we didn't talk about? I don't, I don't know if everybody remembers, but last year I interviewed um, Isela Craiglinger. You brought her up earlier. And um, so yeah. I was telling uh, Tanya earlier that we need to have like a, a big France, Germany trip, eating wine, <laughs> spirituality. We need to, we need to do this. We got to make something happen. I think it would be awesome to go on a, oh um, yeah, some kind of thing like that and take cooking and, and all of that maybe you could do that sometime that would be amazing yeah well we'll definitely keep in touch on that because that's i was in uh actually in france in um this past september and um i was working on what will hopefully be the next book but also um just connecting with people who would help to teach different um uh, classes uh, or who I would work with for me to teach um, classes, uh, you know, cooking classes, but also, you know, chocolate, chocolate tasting workshops or wine tasting workshops. And so this is definitely something that I'm um, looking uh, seriously into and 
hopefully will make happen next year. Um, so yes, let's definitely, uh, you know, do that and also be in touch with Gisela and see what she, she, she has more experience in, in the actual tour part than I do, but, um, but I have quite a few contacts in Bordeaux, uh, at the very least, uh, and Paris. So, um, so that could be really fun and, and something to, to really nourish, uh, nourish the soul with. I, I just, I think going there and seeing it really, um, and experiencing everything is, it makes all the difference. Yes, I'm going to get there. <laughs> and this is how I would love to do it. Just immerse myself in the, in the, the culture, the cooking, the land, the, you know, everything. That's how I like to go and uh, really um, see a place, you know? Um, yeah. It's just great. experience that the richness of it like that. Um, this has been so fun before you go, and maybe you already mentioned your anchor meal, but I always like to ask the anchor questions, which are the first one, what is your anchor meal, which is kind of like your go-to healthy meal that you make often. You always have the ingredients on hand and you, your family, you know, even if it's just yours and not your family's favorite, um, kind of what you eat regularly. Yeah. Well, for the family, like I said, there's the chipped beef, which is really just um, ground beef with chips. I love that. Um, <laughs> uh, sautéed and not too many chips, but, you know, um, it, it makes it exciting for them. Uh, and it's so easy. Uh, you know, I'll uh, sometimes I'll make a pork roast, um, something that, you know, you just stick it in the oven and the oven does the work. But uh, or. Um, for me, I, I like to prepare liver as often as I have it. Um, and, you know, either chicken liver sauteed just with duck fat, um, sometimes with garlic um, or beef liver, which uh, sometimes I'll have. I know it's hard to eat liver. And what I would suggest, because you had mentioned this earlier, is to, if you like sweet potato, yes. to kind of bake uh, or grill, you know, a sweet potato, uh, slather it with, you know, butter or duck fat, and eat that with your uh, liver, um, you know, either chicken liver or um, beef liver, lamb liver, but that's even more um, kind of aromatic, let's say, than beef liver. But uh, it makes it it makes it go down easier. Okay. <laughs> if you're, if you're trying. Yeah. I'm trying. Um, I am trying. So I, I yeah, I know. but again, you know, this is a, a, so for quantity, you don't need that much to really pack a punch, um, when it comes to liver. So, right. Just uh, a little bit. And I have, I, I have to do this because, uh, well, everybody knows because I'm telling everybody, like if, you know, one of the go-to supplements, uh, instead of like going out and get a one a day multivody and my mom, like get liver, desiccated liver mm -hmm. pills, you know? Yeah. But, um, feeding a family of four, my daughter still can't swallow capsules. I'm still working on that y'all. Um, <laughs> liver capsules, you know, it's getting a little pricey. <laughs> and so I'm like, I have all this frozen liver in the, um, you know, in the freezer. So I'm either going to have to make, get real crunchy and make my own become, you know, make my own liver pills <laughs> Or we're just going to have to, I'm going to have to just play with it more and cook it in a way that we'll eat it um, and get it that way. Cause I, you know, it, it is so important. And 
I just need to, I, I, t- I tell everybody it took me until I was in my forties to like sardines and I kept trying and I kept trying. And then finally one day it took, so I know it will with liver. I just got to keep trying. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I mean, and, and one hack um, for it with, with regards to liver is you can also buy liver powder um, and you can put that into the, the chipped beef, for example. <laughs> well, sometimes and I grate if you only... frozen liver. I'll grate frozen liver into beef. Now, that is one thing you... I do because it's easier to handle when it's frozen, you know. Yeah, um, but... that's, that's a, right. Yeah. That's a good strategy. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you can, you, can, you can mask. If you get the right proportion, not too much, it, the, the flavor is masked. Though my girls are, you know, they know, they can tell when I put the liver powder in and they're not usually very happy about it. <laughs> Mom, you put the liver powder in again, (laughs) didn't you? (laughs) I was going to ask you, I really want to make beef tartare. What, what is the Mm -hmm. best cut to use for for that? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, I actually recently did um, a video on that um, with uh, the Weston A. Price Foundation's um, podcaster, Hilda, uh, Holistic Hilda. I don't know if you know of her. but I, I think it should be coming out at some point soon. Um, but it's, you take, the, it's the loin. Um, and if you go to the butcher, oh, well, you, I mean, Ours are butcher. I don't know how you process your meats, but the, the butcher will know what's, what to use for steak tartare. But basically it's the loin cut. It's kind of an inside piece. Okay. Um, that's, you know, it's the tenderest um, easy to cut at the, and the easy to chew. Um, and I, you know, I, I learned from a French chef to just cut it very finely, the meat, and it's all about texture and, um, you know, and other flavors that you add to it. Um, though maybe you don't even need that, you know, grass fed beef can be just so flavorful on its own. It doesn't need to be masked by, um, you know, Parmesan cheese or whatever, avocado. Uh, it can be, but um, I'm sure you get very fresh um, uh, pieces then yeah. from your, gosh, that's wonderful. I want to come and visit and we'll, yes. we'll cook a bunch of organ meats. <laughs> oh, I'll let you cook them. That would be fantastic. Yes, that would be <laughs> fantastic. Okay. I'm, that has been on my radar to do for a long time. Of course, now the weather is getting cooler. It's not really makes sense, but I'm going to make the beef tartare at some point. Um, I think that would be delicious. Um, okay. Oh yeah. All right. Our other anchor question is, yes. I always like to have my guests share their favorite Bible verse or just one that's kind of speaking to them, you know, during this time, just whatever is meaningful to you. Yeah. Well, Chelsea, I have to tell you that it, it, it's been kind of a process of um, discovery for me and some sort of soul searching this uh this part um and um so there are many um you know um verses of that that you know speak to me especially those of concerning light um but the ones that that sort of speak to me the most are the psalms and um interestingly i mean i just absolutely gasped when i heard Gisela say this because I had just decided I was going to use the same psalm, but Psalm 23, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if you want me to read uh, more of it, but 
I'd love for um, you to, if you have it. Handy. Okay. Okay. I do. <laughs> so the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I think I'll stop there. Okay. Um, it's it's just, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, that it was really by the grace of God that I uh, kind of um, made it through my um, a ruptured appendix uh, episode. Um, and I mean, I was uh, really in the valley <laughs> then and kind of scraped me back up um, and uh, has has really lit a path for me. And um, it's, it's sort of a discovery that I'm, or a, I don't even know, a, 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 just a, a journey that I'm on, and um, and I I guess I it keeps me humble, and um, I I understand you know looking back now because this was 25 years ago um, that when I turned 25 um, that you know my life was restored to me, and and um, and I have uh, a purpose, and I've been searching for that purpose. And I think part of this book and sharing, you know, these insights are are part of what I'm supposed to do. And and so these words, you know, speak to me and and kind of remind me um, of uh, you know who I am and 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 how much help I actually do need. <laughs> um, so that's, don't that's, we all. thank you for letting me share that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you. I love it. I think, um, you know, it just sounds like God has led you on a path of um, a, a way to use your gifts, which is um, what we're supposed to do while we're here, right? Um, is to use our gifts to the glory of his name. And um, I, I truly think that, um, you know, my goal is always to just help people think more about God and their health and be healthier so that they can show up mm -hmm. into everything they're supposed to be in, in using their gifts. Because, you know, when we don't feel well, we don't do that. When But when we do feel well, we serve well. And um, I think that your book is a, a, a beautiful way of educating people um, and, and just bringing them back to that traditional eating. And that is why I wanted to include it on my holiday list it's just a beautiful you know I just feel I feel kind of fancy just owning the book it's just so beautiful <laughs> you know it's just beautiful to look through the to cook from to learn from I mean it really is and so um I really encourage everybody to pick it up for yourself or just or pick it up as a gift to be a, a wonderful gift with a bottle of wine oh I would <laughs> love that um tell everybody where they can connect with you what's the if they want to follow you or I'm sure they can find the book anywhere Amazon or wherever but just kind of give everybody your info okay yeah Chelsea thank you so much too just for the the opportunity to have this conversation and and for this chance uh, you know for for me to to grow and learn as well. 
Um, but people can find me um, uh, just at uh, bordokitchen.com. And um, I also have a photography website that showcases photography. It's tanyateshki.com. My name spelling might be in the podcast title or oh yeah we'll uh, have notes yes. somewhere yes it will mm-hmm. <laughs> but um that's that's really the best place and then there are links to other things from from uh Bordeaux kitchen perfect well thank you again for being here i appreciate yeah. it oh thanks so much and thank everybody thank you all for listening i hope you have a healthy and blessed week and i will talk to you soon Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.